Good morning, good morning, good morning. I was, that was really a mic check, you know, to see if I was on or not. That's why I said it so many times. Good morning, everyone. Let's all pray together. Father God, Holy Spirit, and Eternal Son, we love you so much, and we are so blessed and gifted with this morning, an opportunity to be gathered here together, gathered here together into your presence, into your people, into this holy place, not the physical temple that is this building that was constructed in the 1920s, but your church, your people, your bride, and your body that is everlasting. Lord Jesus, we love you. We acknowledge the fact that we truly were those people, as the pre-roll said, that little video at the onset, wandering aimlessly in the desolate wilderness, but you redeemed us from the enemy's hand. You gathered us together, built us into this holy temple that is your bride, and for that we are eternally grateful. We come here this morning to worship you and you alone. We love you, Lord Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. How's everybody doing today? Great. Great? Fantastic. Well, I got to tell you all that I'm excited like every Sunday, but I woke up this morning at like four o'clock and I've been up ever since and I am super excited about today. Are y'all excited? I'm super excited. I'm super excited. Did I say that already? Did I say I was super excited? Well, I want to ask y'all a question. So like, um, we had somebody that was baptized not too long ago. Do y'all know that we did that? Does anybody remember that? Pearson. Pearson, yeah. Pearson, he got baptized. And what does that mean when somebody gets baptized? He just wants to take a bath, just kind of have a back scrubber in there and get some soap. What does it mean when somebody, he has everlasting life? God forgives their sins. What else? We don't just want to hear from one person. We have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Anybody else think of anything? Very good. Very good. Well, I want you to think about this because sometimes in churches we kind of get into these ruts, you know. Do you know what a rut is? It's like if you think about like a tire or a wheel that goes in the same track, the same place, day in and day out all the time, the ground stops being flat, and it starts kind of getting like a divot. It starts getting worn out. So it's kind of like it's a place where the wheel goes all the time. It's a rut. And when you get into these ruts, sometimes it's hard to get out of them, and you just kind of do the same thing all the time. Now, sometimes when we're following Jesus, he is the way. He's not a rut. He's just the one way. So that's good. But sometimes in churches, we get used to traditions and things that we heard people say. And it may not even be from the Bible, but it's something that somebody said, and then it turns into something that we do, and we don't even know why. So the idea of this rut is is that sometimes we talk about this idea of salvation when sometimes a pastor or your mom and dad say, what does it mean you know, that you have a relationship with Jesus? And we say, it means that I've been saved from my sins. I'm not going to hell. It's not just that we are not going to hell. It means that we're redeemed. Does anybody know what it means to be redeemed? In that song, we just sang about that. We sang about this idea of redemption. In that very first song about being built, we're being built together. In that very first video that we, we looked at that was up there, 
Do y'all remember that from the very beginning? Maybe y'all were still getting in your seats and you were looking at what toys you brought to church and, you know, you're scratching your head and looking to see who's here. But that video was talking about this idea that we used to be wanderers, lost out all over the place. That's okay. You don't need to comment on that, but that's all right. You, didn't, you missed it. So the idea is that we've been gathered together by Jesus for what? Why have we been gathered together by Jesus? We can praise him like as individuals. We can learn about God and we just do that by ourselves at home. That video was talking about being built together into a holy temple, a spiritual house. And so today, when I talk to everybody up there, when I do the sermon part, I'm going to be talking about these two words, redeemed and gathered. Well, you guys know what it is to be gathered, right? Like if there are a bunch of apples on the ground and your mom said, I want you to go gather up all the apples, what would you do? You put them all together like you just go out there with your bare hands? Yeah, you probably get a bucket or a basket or something because you got to have something to put them in. If there's like 50 apples on the ground, you got to have something. So when you gather them, you're putting them all into one thing, one place. So when Jesus talks about redeeming us, he's not just talking about like, oh, I just saved you from hell, and I saved you from hell, and I saved you from hell. Now go live your lives and do whatever you want. The idea of salvation, redemption, is that he's taken us from something, and he's brought us together into something. He's gathered us together. Have you all ever seen a piece of glass? Everybody pretty much has seen a piece of glass. Yeah, my glasses up here, they're probably like plastic, but yeah, like actual glass. Is it like sometimes you can have like years ago they used to make soda bottles out of glass. They don't do that too much anymore. Now it's mostly plastic. But the cool thing about glass is, is that if glass gets broken and if you were to find a piece of glass like buried in the ground, that you could collect that glass and you could wash it off. You could have even melt it again and you could form it into something else. Did you know that? You guys, some, some of you did, some of you didn't. Well, you know, you could take a piece of glass and you could form it into something like, does anybody know what this is? There's a hole right in there. And what, what do you think you would, this isn't a candle, but it's a candle holder. Yeah, it's a candle holder. So that's one thing that you could do with a piece of glass. Somebody who's really skilled was able to make that. You could make something maybe like, yeah, this is a, a fancy glass or a chalice, and you could fill that up with something like refreshing water, or you know, you could fill it up with your you know your favorite beverage, and you know that's a beautiful glass. Somebody that was really skilled and crafted made that, and we don't want to break it, so that's why it's covered in tissue paper. And then I think I've got one more in here, and this one is really kind of cool. This one, anybody know what that is? What is it's a pineapple. It's a pineapple. And if you love pineapples, you might say that is really cool. I'd like to have that. And if you take it home, what can you do with this? The top doesn't come off. It doesn't have a hole in the top. The bottom doesn't open up. Like what could you do with that? You put it on a shelf. It's for show. It's like something you look at and you admire and you're like, "Oh, that's nice." But it doesn't really do anything because it's so fancy and it's probably expensive, is that you wouldn't want to use it as a doorstop. You wouldn't want to use it as a bookmark. But it's pretty cool, and somebody really crafted and really skilled did that. But 
when Jesus takes us as broken pieces of glasses and he melts us and he forms us together, he doesn't want to just put us on a shelf just to look at us. What does he want to do with us? He wants to use us. That's right. That's exactly right. He wants to use us. So if you just look at this idea of Jesus, he saved me from my sins, I guess I'm good now, and then you just go about your life, and your life doesn't really look any different than somebody who doesn't have faith, that hasn't been redeemed in Jesus, you know what? There's probably a really good chance that you haven't truly been redeemed. Because when we fall in love with Jesus and we abandon unto him, he desires so much to use us, as Liam said, that he builds us into that spiritual house, into one thing. Does anybody know what that one thing is? The bride of Christ. That's right, the body and bride of Christ. And another word that we use is the church. Not just this one physical location, but the church is not the place, it's the, it's the people, it's us. That's right. And so I brought one more piece of glass, or one of my friends did. They brought this piece of glass. And I want you to think about, instead of us all being a bunch of individual things that are set up on a shelf, that this piece of glass right here, imagine all of these little pieces that were taken, that maybe were broken and lost, that were in the ground, and somebody dug them up, and they washed them clean, and they had this image of something that they wanted to create. And they took all of those broken pieces of glass, and they formed it together into one thing. Do you all see how beautiful that is? But if you just kind of set it up on a shelf, and you just said, you know, that doesn't really do much of anything, then it really wouldn't be that awesome. But if we know Jesus and we're plugged into him, oh, look at that. What do you think's inside of there? A light. That's right. And so us as the bride and the body, the church of Jesus, that we're kind of that beautiful handiwork, that workmanship, that one single thing. Jesus says that we're supposed to be a light, not a bunch of individual lights. We are supposed to be together a single light because Jesus is the one that's inside of us and we are that beautiful workmanship that Ephesians 2.10 says that, that we are his poema, his workmanship, his masterpiece. That's Jesus's bride and his body. So when we're redeemed from being those broken, dirty pieces of glass and we're reformed by our faith in Jesus, he gathers us together and he makes this one beautiful masterpiece. And he's the one that's on the inside. And when we hold it up and not put it under a basket, then the whole world gets to see. Isn't that amazing? Does anybody here want to be a part of that? No? You guys are good? Does anybody here want to be a part of that? I know I sure do. And in the book of Revelation, it doesn't say that we're just a lamp. It says that we're being built into this new city, the new Jerusalem. So in the sermon, if you guys lean in and you listen really well, and you think about what it is that Pastor Kevin's saying, you're going to see how all of those ideas come together into one thing talking about the new city, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, 
prepared as a bride and adorned to honor and to praise and to glorify Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Gatherer, our Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you so much. We're thankful that you took these broken pieces, wandering and lost all over the earth and all kinds of different places that you gathered us together and you washed us clean by your blood and you made us into this one single poema, this masterpiece, your handiwork. And on the inside of this holy temple, the light that shines is you. We love you for that, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Well, if you haven't been here uh, for a couple of weeks, we started a a series in Psalm 107. It's not really a series. It's just a segment of a bigger series, Let Us Sing, as we've been going through the Psalms. And so if you haven't been here for the last two weeks, this is the third week. This is part three of Psalm 107. And so I would like to encourage you to go back and to listen to those first two parts of Psalm 107. Because we're going we're gonna to sum up a little bit today, but you're going to miss so much if you just listen to this one and you don't go back and really see the fullness. Last week, I heard a couple of people in Table Fellowship and in some of the other groups saying, we're not really sure why the pastor translated that first word. In my Bible, it says, give thanks. And in many of the other translations, give thanks. And he's saying, abandon, abandon unto Yahweh. Well, if you go back and you listen, you'll find out why. Because I took text from Jeremiah and from Genesis, and I think we made a pretty solid case for translating that first word of Psalm 107 into abandon. Abandon unto, and then last week, Yahweh. This idea, this God who is the eternal I am, the God of Scripture, that when we abandon unto him for goodness, his kessed, his covenant loyalty, it is everlasting. It's permanent. Unlike that wave that's tossed in the ocean that we just sang about, unlike a vapor in the wind that goes from here to there, God's love is everlasting. His covenant loyalty, his fidelity is everlasting. It's permanent. So last week we made a little bit more progress. We made it past one word and we dove into verses two and three. And in verse two, We looked at this idea of redemption. Let the redeemed of Yahweh declare that he has redeemed them from the power, the hand, the clutches, the grasp of the adversary, the enemy, the foe. Anybody know who that might be? It's not your employer. As much as you may despise them, it's not your next door neighbor. It's the adversary. It's the eternally defeated one, the shatan, the accuser. We say Satan, the devil. Let the redeemed of Yahweh declare. Is that your declaration? Has that been your declaration this week? That you are a redeemed of Yahweh. You are one of the redeemed. Not just with our speech, because oftentimes as Christians, we like to go out and we like to tell people what they should be doing from our positions, from our podiums of self-righteousness, right? We like to look down our noses 
especially as Baptists, we're really good at that. We've got, a, we've got a name and a reputation for looking down at people and saying, oh, if you smoke, yeah, God can't love you. If you drink, God can't love you. If you dance, if you play cards, if you do any of those things, God can't love you. And it's a lie. It's a lie. All of those things are a lie. God loves us just as we are. We've sung that song in the past, right? Come just as you are, just as I am. God loves us. But then he wants to conform us, to redeem us into his bride and his body, to make us that beautiful handiwork, that beautiful poema of Ephesians 2.10. And in verse 3, we looked at last week, and he's gathered them. He's gathered them from throughout the earth, right? He's gathered them from throughout the earth, from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. He's gathered us from as far as the sunrise, that's the east, from the west, from darkness and despair, from the north, from fear and worry of invaders and exile, and from the south, the sea of hopelessness and despair. And so we covered verses 1 through 3 in two weeks, and so we're just going to skip over verses 4 through 42, and I want you to just go right to verse 43. We're just going to wrap it up today. Are y'all with me? That's supposed to be funny. Come on. I'm not going to skip anything, but I do want you to go to verse 43. Come on, everybody. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. In verse 43, it reads, Let whoever is wise guard. That's that Hebrew verb, shamar. Anybody familiar with the verb shamar? I've only preached on it about 50 times. I've only used it in sermons about 100 times. Shamar. If we go all the way back to Genesis 2.15, when God dedicates Adam, he hasn't created Eve yet, he dedicates Adam in the Garden of Eden. And he gives him two verbs. He says, this is your function. Not your purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God in all things at all times forever. That's it. That's our purpose. But his function was to abide and to shamar his wife, his bride. He's supposed to abide her. He's supposed to minister to her. He's supposed to serve her, his bride. And we see that fulfilled perfectly in Christ. Amen? And then that next verb is the same one that's used right here, where we see in verse 43, translated as guard. Your translation may say, pay attention. But it's to watch, it's to guard, it's to look over carefully, diligently, shamar. We're supposed to do that. Let whoever is wise guard these things. What things? You read it and you say, oh, yeah. And then we get to the end, and we haven't really asked that question. What things? All of the things that Psalm 107 talks about. To abandon unto Yahweh. What does it mean to abandon? Who is Yahweh? What does it mean to be redeemed? What has he redeemed us from? What has he redeemed us to? Why has he gathered us together into that single entity that is his bride and his body, the church? Why? As one of those little kids said this morning, to do, to act, to serve, to love, to be that light of Christ in a lost and broken world. Let whoever is wise guard, shamar these things, and discern. Not just consider, as my translation reads. It doesn't mean to consider, 
to sit there sort of like in a yoga pose with your legs crossed and your fingers on top of your knees. Aum, I am considering. Don't consider, discern. It means to figure something out, how it can be applied appropriately, because back at the very beginning it says, let whoever is let who it's right there on the slide let whoever is wise and that word wise means whoever is skilled are you a skilled artisan a craftsman with the life the redemption that Christ has given you are you are you being skilled with what he has because if you are you will guard these things and you will discern Yahweh's acts of what covenant Fidelity, that's that Hebrew word, kesed. Sometimes in the Old Testament, it's translated mercy. Sometimes it's translated in the New Testament, mercy. Sometimes it's translated grace. Sometimes it's translated other things. Kesed is God's covenant fidelity. That's what it is, is covenant love. And we talked about that last week, how it was demonstrated through Eve and the promise that he made, even in our rebellion, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Before it was set in motion, God the Son raised his hand and said, Father, I will go. I will go and I will be slain for humanity because of my love, because of our love for them. His covenant fidelity all the way through Abraham, through Jacob, who is also known as Israel, not just the tribe, but the person through Judah, through David, until we see it fulfilled, perfected in Christ. Let whoever is wise guard these things and discern Yahweh's acts of covenant fidelity. Are you living that out? Psalm 107 isn't just a bunch of words, but truth of light and hope, life. It's the way. That's scripture, folks. It's a monumental, supernatural, everlasting thing. It's significant. It radically changes and alters our lives. I remember last week, after our time together in service, we gather together in small groups here on our campus, the kiddos, the youth, and the adults. And I remember someone saying last week, they said, I know for a fact that I'm redeemed in Christ because I know who I was before and I see the difference in who I am now. And as it says in the New Testament, talking about Paul, who was then Saul, something like scales fell from his eyes. If that hasn't happened to you, if you've not had the experience of the scales of who you were lost, wandering in the desolate wilderness, if you're just, well, I asked Jesus into my heart, I go to church on Sundays, I have a Bible, I don't read it that much, I don't understand much of it, it's weird, it's old, it's antiquated, it's outdated, but I do the stuff on the outside. What Jesus has to say is you are a hypocrite. Whitewashed tombs. You're concerned about the externals, but on the inside, you're dead. And he doesn't say that to shame you, but to wake you up and say there's a different way you could be wise, you could be redeemed, you could come unto me for eternal, everlasting life, for the goodness, abandon. Unto Yahweh. Amen? 
I hope y'all are tracking with me. Abandon. What are these things? Abandon. It's an imperative verb. Do it. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's an imperative verb. Abandon unto I am, this God of covenantal kissed love. Declare, proclaim that he has redeemed me from the hand, the clutches of the foe, the adversary. He's done that, and then he's gathered us together. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn here, but you can also just look up here on the screen. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. That word in Greek is poema. Sometimes we'll say his poem. And we can say poem if we're talking about his craftsmanship, a singular, beautiful piece of artistry the masterpiece, the pinnacle of God's expression of love and his character. We are that thing. God spoke and willed an entire material cosmos, not just the earth, not just our solar system, not just the universe, but everything that is in this physical realm, this physical cosmos. God made it all so for us. And if that doesn't blow your minds, you might want to check your pulse. And say, well, I've got a pulse. What about a spiritual pulse? Yeah, Yeah, that sounds okay. If it doesn't get you out of your funk, if it doesn't wake you up and cause you to rise up above your circumstances of the week and whatever problems you've got, Do y'all realize that's exactly what Jesus did? Every moment of every day, every second of his life, he rose above. In the garden in Gethsemane, he's about to go to the cross, and he doesn't sit there, arms folded. This just isn't how I wanted to do it. This isn't really working out for me. Dad, can you send somebody else? For a split moment in his humanity and his suffering, knowing what he's about to go to, he says, Father, Father, could this cup pass from me? And in that same instant, he says, but not my will. He rose above. Don't get stuck in your circumstances like a pouty child. Rise above it. Because God has good things. We are God, the eternal one of Father, Son, and Spirit. We are his workmanship, his handiwork, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do. Do y'all realize that? To do good works. Not to be that thing that's set up on a shelf. God doesn't save you, redeem you from the brokenness and the filth of who we are in our sin to put us up on a shelf like a glass pineapple or a little figurine or a chalice that we say, oh, that's from my wedding or some other important gift that someone's given me and I'm going to lock it up inside of this special cabinet so it doesn't collect dust but nobody ever gets to touch it or use it. That's not God. That's not us in Christ. He says he wants to use us to do the good works which God prepared in advance. Peripateo, that's the Greek word, for us to walk in, for it to be our way of life. Not lights, but a single light who is Christ within us. Not workmanships, 
not multiple pieces of poetry, one poema, his body, his bride, his church. He's gathered them together. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built. Do y'all realize that? God is doing a work in you right now, whether you want it to happen or not. Because Scripture says that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Even if you kick and drag your heels the whole way, God is going to, unless... Like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders, though we're still fools and rebels, rejecting God, clean on the outside, whitewashed tombs, but dead on the inside. If you're not being transformed, then you're not alive. You're dead in your transgressions. You also, as living stones, are being built into a singular spiritual dwelling to be a holy priesthood. That's what Peter had to say. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 23. If you don't have a Bible with you or if you're listening online and you don't have one, you can contact us and I'd be happy to send you a Bible for free. We'll even cover the postage. Just reach out to us, Pastor Kevin at PoetryBaptist.com, and we'll send you a Bible. But in Matthew 23... Jesus is speaking to the crowds. This is after the triumphal entry. This is on the cusp of going to the cross, what's called the Passion Week, the final moments of Jesus' incarnation here on earth before he goes to the cross. And what does Jesus have to say, beginning in verse 13? The seven woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, you're actors, you're charlatans. You act one way, but you're completely different. If you scrape away the garbage that's on the exterior, and there are so many Christians and so many churches out there that are just like this. And I think, and I wonder, and I hope that if Jesus were to be in our midst today, that he wouldn't point his finger at me and us as a church, as the bride and the body, and say, you hypocrites. You're playing a good game on Sunday, but are you living it out? Are you? Nah. I just asked you into my heart, and you saved me from hell, and I'll see you topside, Jesus. All this stuff down here, it's a little too much. I'm a little overwhelmed with kids and school and COVID and my job and my boss and my employees. My toe hurts. My back hurts. I'm getting older. I got this going on and that going on. And we get consumed by our circumstances. The religious leaders were consumed by their power and their prestige. And then Jesus comes along and he says, Woe to you, you're hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. The second woe in verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to make one convert. And when they do become one, you make them twice the child of hell as you are. The third one, your blind guides. The fourth one, hypocrites again. You pay a tenth, you tithe. Many Christians don't even do that part. You tithe, you give 10%, and sometimes you give even more, but you neglect the more important things. Justice, mercy, God's covenant love. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the fifth one. You're clean on the outside. You clean your cup on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of greed. You're disgusting. The sixth one, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites again. You're whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of bones. You're dead, and you're full of every kind of impurity. The seventh one, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. You build tombs of the prophets and you talk about this idea that we would have never taken part in the shedding of the prophet's blood. But yet, on the cusp of Jesus Christ going to the cross, you're the ones who are doing it. Hypocrites. And then Jesus, this idea of gathering. Verse 37 of Matthew 23 Jesus says, how often I longed. you imagine Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, the nation of Israel? Everything that God has done all throughout Scripture, forgiving, redeeming, forgiving, redeeming, His presence dwelling with them in the tabernacle and in the temple, all of the prophets, everything that God has done, leading them out of slavery, making promise after promise after promise. And they turn their backs, just as we've done. How often I've longed, longed, God says, to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you, you, you were unwilling. I don't know if that presses upon your heart, that Jesus, God, the Yahweh, the great I Am, that his desire to redeem us, to gather us together, and so many of us were caught up in hypocrisy, in ritual, in lip service. But there's no love, there's no true mercy, there's no justice except our kind of justice, what we think is fair. It's all external, but dead on the inside. We wouldn't have taken place in that, Jesus, but yet you'll execute me. You won't acknowledge the fact that I died for you on the cross. You won't live it out. You're continuing as fools. How long I've desired, I've longed to gather you together. And then Jesus goes where? Into the city, into the old Jerusalem, in order to release the captives, to set them free, to redeem those broken pieces, those broken lives, and to gather them together, to deliver them into the new Jerusalem. Let's go back to Psalm 107. With that backdrop, with that foundation now laid, we can continue on. They wandered in the desolate wilderness. Who did? Remember, we're supposed to be discerning. We're supposed to be guarding, paying attention to these things. We're supposed to shamar all of what it is that God has to say, taking it all in, putting it in our theological pockets, forming a picture, an idea, a concept, not of our idea of God, but God's idea of God. They wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city to remain. That word is Moshab in Hebrew. It doesn't just mean a city. It's 
different. There's a little bit of a range in that word. We think, oh, well, they wanted to go to a city. It has this idea of a permanent residence. Y'all ever heard the idea of we're going to set our roots down? We're going to put roots down. This is going to be our place where we're going to dwell. And that's what Jesus did in the Gospel of John when it says that he came to tabernacle with us, to dwell among us, not to hang out for a while. Jesus came to put his roots down with us. And he was baptized in order to identify with us. He went to a cross to die for our sins. Finding no way to a city, Moshab, so that we could remain permanent, everlasting. Y'all are getting your Bible exercise in today. Revelation 21 When you think about that idea of Moshab, of city, of that everlasting place, of our everlasting permanent roots, we're not a wave tossed in the ocean, we're not a vapor in the wind, we have a new residence in Christ, amen? I don't know, I wasn't really convinced. We have a new permanent residence in Christ, amen? Revelation 21 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband, the church. Do you all get that? The new Jerusalem is the church. That's his bride adorned, perfected in Christ, the single poema, the masterpiece. Then I heard a loud voice. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. His permanent residence where he's put his roots down in and through the cross and the empty tomb. He will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. No more grief. No more crying. And pain will be no more. Because the previous things, they've all passed away. Amen. Anybody here other than me looking forward to that? Preach it, Pastor. Then the one seated on the throne, look, I'm making everything new. Then he said to me, it's done. I'm skipping over words not to be heretical or blasphemous, but to shorten this up just a bit. And You can read Revelation 21 on your own. Then he said to me, it's done perfected. I'm not still working on it. Finished at the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. It's already done, everyone. The one who conquers, he's talking about us. The one who listens to Psalm 107, who puts their faith in Christ, the one who abandons unto Yahweh, the one who shamar, who guards, protects, pays attention to these things. The one who discerns, the one who's no longer a fool, the one who's wise, the one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, the detestable, the faithless, the murderers, the immoral, the manipulators, the idolaters and the liars, their share will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur. That's the second death. And then we fast forward to verse 22. 
And John, the person who's writing this, who's trying to take all of this in and communicate it into limited human language, says, I didn't see a temple in that new Jerusalem in the bride, the body of Christ that came down, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun. It doesn't need the moon, because the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb. Verse 25, its gates will never be closed. No more gates. Never be closed by day because it will never be night there. And they, that's the redeemed of God, they will bring their glory and the honor of the nations into it. Back to Psalm 107, and here's where we wrap it up. Hang in there, everybody. Hang in there. Verse 5. They were hungry and thirsty. Those people who were in the desolate wilderness, those who were thirsty and hungry, their spirits failed within them. And then in verse 6, then they cried out to Yahweh in their dire straits. In their dire straits, that narrow place. That's exactly what it means in Hebrew, in that tight spot that you were in, in the enemy's hand. In the clutches of the adversary, bound to eternal destruction in the lake of fire. And they cried out to Yahweh in their dire straits, and he did what? What did he do? What did he do? He delivered them out of their distress. Oftentimes we use the word saved, and saved is good, but delivered is better. If someone mails you something a friend of yours, they mail you something. It might have been, they might have found that piece of broken glass and they might have shaped it into that lamp and they might have put it in a box or a package, patted it and taken care of it. It's been saved, but it hasn't been delivered until it reaches your home. Until it reaches your home and you open it up and it says that that's what God did. He delivered us out of our distress. He led them on the right way to go into an exciting dwelling of permanence. Not just into a city and we go, yeah, maybe it's London, maybe it's San Antonio, I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know, Belgium. They got great waffles, I guess. It's this picture of being in God's presence and it's an exciting dwelling of permanence. It's never going to change. It's never going to end. God's not going to change his mind. He's not going to look over there and say, you know what, Robert, you're not supposed to be here. I don't know how you got into this place, but you got to go. We're done. That's our home forever and ever. Let them abandon unto Yahweh. This is verse 8. The same thing that it started with. Let them abandon unto Yahweh for his covenant fidelity, his kessed love, and his extravagant works lavished upon all humanity. The idea, everyone, the idea is that God just didn't pick out a few people. His love has been lavished on who? All humanity. There are some people who are going to accept that gift that's delivered to their front door. They're going to open it up. They're going to call out to him, 
and be delivered from those dire straits. And then our last verse. For he has perfectly satisfied the thirsty soul and filled the hungry soul with his goodness. time of benediction, the sending out, it's merely an extension of that response. What is the Lord Yahweh, the one that you're abandoned unto in your profession of faith, in your wisdom, and you're protecting these things that he's placed upon our hearts? What's that going to look like this week as we go out as the light of Christ into a lost and a broken world? How are you going to tell people? How is your proclamation, your declaration, how is it going to be that you communicate that in word and deed that he's delivered you from the hand, the clutches, the power of the adversary?